Amen. Thank you, Almonia family. And by the way, Mel, thank you for every day sending those little encouraging little texts, sending them out there. Thank you very much for that. That's a real gift every day. Thank you for doing it. Well, in just a few days, it's Christmas. And so it's important that today we focus our attention in on the nativity and the birth of our savior. Now, when we're talking about the birth of our savior, of course, he came the normal natural way and was born as a baby in Bethlehem. And so I want to begin with your help. I want you to look at something. I'm going to show you something in just a moment. And it's a series of faces of babies. Um, I'd like you to look at these very carefully and, uh, and tell me what you think of when you, when you see them. Okay. Let's, uh, let's play that. I've got a little PowerPoint here. Study the faces. I wish we could spend more time looking at those baby faces. But when you look at the face of a baby, uh, you can't help but just appreciate each individual little personality. They're like snowflakes. They're so different. They look so helpless and their little expressions and, and things. And we, we just enjoy it. But sometimes we think, what will this baby be when he or she grows up? You ever done that? Have you ever wondered what, uh, maybe if, maybe it's for your own children. You brought them home from the hospital and you, you looked at them and, and you wondered, what are they going to be when they grow up? What kind of person will they be? Have you ever thought about that? Well, what would the baby Jesus be? Now I, I His face would have been different from all of those faces you saw. That's for sure. But looking into the face of the baby Jesus. What would you think? Back in 1948, a a dear Christian lady by the name of Grace Adkins, she wrote a very precious hymn. It's in our hymn book. It goes like this. It talks about seeing Jesus face. And it goes By and by, when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn shadowed face. What a beautiful hymn that she wrote. When we look upon the face of Jesus and we all know that Jesus was God come in the flesh. We know that we know that he came to die on the cross for our sins. We understand that. But when we think of the baby Jesus, you see today, if we could in our hearts, take a look into the manger. And that's what I want to suggest for you today. And we look on his face. We look on the beautiful face of the baby Jesus. What would you see? Now, 
Do you think you would see the savior of the world? We know that that's what he grew up to be, but think of it when he was laying there in the manger. If you could look on his face, what would you see? What would you see? See, I think that's a a pretty reasonable question. And I think that that's one that we could explore today. In fact, makes me think what Mary thought when she looked upon baby Jesus, she just gave birth to baby Jesus. Now the angel spoke to her nine months previous. We know that and told her that Jesus, the savior was coming. So she gives birth to the savior and she looks upon his face And what was she thinking? And Joseph, who was right there, and he looks and gazes upon the face of Jesus. What was Joseph thinking that moment or that day when he looked upon the face of Jesus? For that matter, the shepherds, remember, were in their field, abiding with their flocks there, and they came. They came and they came in and they looked upon the face of Jesus. And what did they see? And then later when they brought the baby Jesus to the temple, according to the Jewish custom, there was old Simeon and Anna. They got an opportunity to hold the baby Jesus. And they looked into his face. What did they see? A little later, the wise men came They looked in the face of Jesus. What is it that they saw? So I think that that's a, a good, a good thought and a worthy question. What do you see? So we want to look into the manger, so to speak. You see, Christmas is just a couple days away. It's this Friday, a couple days away. And so together in our hearts, Let's take a trip in time back 2000 years and together. Let's look into the manger where Jesus lay and let's look through the lens of scripture and let's look into the face of Jesus. Now let's have a word of prayer. Our wonderful heavenly father, we're attempting something that we really need your help with. It's going to require faith. Please increase our faith. Help us to look through the lens of the Bible, the lens of scripture, and to see the Savior Jesus. Please, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen and bless us. But Father, I pray that if there be one watching, male, female, young or old, who has not yet come to know Jesus as personal savior, that you would encourage their hearts to do so. And now would be the perfect time to do it. And so bless us today in Jesus name. We ask. Amen. Well, we're going to use the Bible as our lens and we're going to focus in and we're going to try to look into the face of Jesus. And what do we see now? To begin, let's, um, we're in the gospel of Luke. Let's go to the right over to John chapter one. 
John chapter one. And we'll learn something here. John chapter one, verse number one. In the beginning was the word. Now notice that the word has got a capital W on it. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And so we're not told here what the word is, but whatever it is, it was way back in the early beginning. And it was together with God. And it was more than that. It was God. That's what it says. Now we'll go over here to verse number 14. And it starts to make a little more sense. <clears throat> and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And so we understand now who the word is. It's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word, the language that the new Testament was originally written in was Greek. And they, they use the word logos logos, and it refers to the spoken word, the spoken word. Now we have thoughts in our head and we express those thoughts through language. So just as thoughts are expressed through language. So also God is expressed through the word, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's something very interesting that I found. One of the ancient philosophers who lived from 20 BC to about uh, 50 AD. So you can get an idea. He lived into his seventies. His name was Philo. Philo, and he was an ancient philosopher. Now, Philo was not a Christian man. In fact, he was a Jewish man, and he became uh, sort of a Jewish Greek man. He kind of entered into the Greek world in, in, in the, the Roman Empire of his day. And he wrote extensively, and he used this word logos in his writings. And here's a, a man who's not born again. He's not a Christian man. He's an interesting man, but he wrote extensively using the term logos and listen, he used it in his writings to refer to the intermediary between God and man. So he said, God is way up here. So infinite man is way down here. So finite and in between at the highest order in between making God known to man is the logos. Now that comes from the lips and the pen of a man who was not a born again Christian, but don't you find that interesting? So we're learning something here. Now, what do the scriptures reveal about the word capital W the word about Jesus? Well, if you go back here to verse one, we learn he's a divine person. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And now verse three, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And we know Genesis one in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We know that. And so we learn here that the word is a divine person. 
There's divinity in this word. Now also in verse 14, it says here, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so the word became a human being and his name was Jesus Christ. And so this is very important for us as we, we peer into the manger, we look into the face of Jesus. The scripture is bringing into focus for us who and what we're looking at. And what we're looking at here is God of very God. He's God in the flesh. Now for our next view, we need to uh, look again here at John chapter one. And once again, at verse 14, there's a lot of truth in the scriptures and verse 14. And it says here, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the, now watch these next two words, only begotten the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And look at verse number 18. Now, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. And so we have this very precious expression, only begotten. Now, remember what we're doing here is we're trying to peer into the manger. We're trying to gaze into the face of our savior and we're trying to understand who and what we're looking at. And our first view in John one verses one and 14, we learn that he is a divine person and he became a human being named Jesus Christ. Now our second view here. Here we see that Jesus is the only begotten. Now this is important. Only begotten is actually one of the highest titles ascribed to Jesus Christ. Again, I go back to the language in which the new Testament was written and the word that's translated only begotten. The Greek word is monogenes monogenes mono means single of its kind and genes means to bring forth monogenes. So only begotten certainly bears the indication of divine relationship. He is the only begotten son of God. In other words, he's different from all the other sons of God. He is unique. He is one of a kind. Now in John chapter three and verse 16, one of the most famous Bible verses says for God so loved the world. That's you and me, my friend, that he gave his only begotten son. There's that expression. And then it goes on to say that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means to die and go to hell, but should receive everlasting life. So, the problem with many of the modern day Bibles, see, we use the King James Bible because of its accuracy. The King James Bible says only begotten. And it says that because that is the correct rendition. That's the correct translation of monogenes is only begotten. Modern Bibles, such as, for example, the new international version. If you have one of those, that's all right but I wouldn't use it as your regular study Bible. 
I would use it maybe as a reference if you wanted to check something. But get yourself a, an accurate Bible. That's why we use the King James Bible. And the New International Version is not an accurate Bible by any stretch. And it says that God gave his one and only son. That's what the New International says. The King James says only begotten. The New, New International says his one and only son. Now there's a problem with that right away. Because if Jesus is the one and only son, where does that leave us? You see, the New International is conflicting right away with John chapter 1 and verse 12. Look at it. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, power to become sons of God. And New International says that Jesus is his one and only son. It conflicts. It's conflicting with John chapter one, verse 12, because God has many, many sons, but he only has one that's only begotten. So that's important. This is, this is just one of the reasons why we use the King James Bible. We Christians, we have been adopted we're adopted into God's family because we didn't start there. Folks, we didn't begin in God's family. We began in the devil's family. And when we got saved, born again through Jesus Christ, we were adopted into God's family. But Jesus Christ has always been in the family of God. He is only begotten. He is naturally there. And so the second thing we learn about the babe in Bethlehem, as we gaze into his face is we are looking not only at God, not only at fully human, fully man, but we're also looking at only begotten. He is one of a kind. He is unique. Down through the years, there have been a few people that claim to have been Jesus Christ. And they're found in various parts of the world. And they stand up and they say, I am Jesus Christ. You know, they are liars. Or they're totally out of their mind. They're lunatics. Because I'm telling you right now, they are not Lord. They are not the Lord Jesus. They're either liars or lunatics. But they are not. The one only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ. Now for our third view, we need to turn to the right. We're going to be going to the book of Colossians. So let's go there now after Romans and first and second Corinthians, you get Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians and go to Colossians chapter one. And we're going to be looking, please, at verse number 15. Verse number 15, Colossians 1 and 15. And here the scripture says, who, and that's a reference to Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. You see in verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It's talking about Jesus. But in verse 15, we get our third view, our third view in the manger here. As we look in the face, he's the image of the invisible God. 
Now, this word image, again, the Greek word behind it is ikon, ikon. Some pronounce it icon, ikon, an image. It's more than a mere likeness. It's more than that. It's almost like a prototype is what we're talking about. It's one of a kind. It sort of connects, if you will, it connects with only begotten. Here we learn that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. No man hath seen God at any time. He's invisible, invisible. We have people on the internet that claim that they've seen God. They are liars or they are lunatics. No man hath seen God. Jesus has. And he is the image. So what does God look like? You look at Jesus. You have the image, the image, the very image of almighty God, the invisible God. So he's like a prototype, but the scriptures even take this a step further. And that brings us to our fourth view of the babe in Bethlehem's manger. And so we have the first view that he is the word. He is divine and that he is human in flesh. And we have the second view that he is only begotten. He is absolutely in a class of his own. Number three, he is the very image of the invisible God. And now number four, I'd like you to turn further to the right in your Bible, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number one. Hebrews chapter number one. You'll notice in verse two, I believe it was the apostle Paul who wrote Hebrews. I know that some don't believe that they believe other things, but I, I I've studied all the arguments over decades. I've studied them and I believe that it's Paul. I believe that he is the author of Hebrews, but that's beside the point. In verse two, he writes, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. That's the Lord Jesus. Verse three, this is what I want you to see. Who is the brightness of his glory and the express image. Now there's two words there. I want you to see, you see our third view was that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. But now the scriptures the lens of scripture, the Bible takes it even a step further. He's not just the image. He's the express image. Now this is very interesting. Jesus is called the express image of God's person. This, these two words express image. Karakter. Karakter. That's the Greek word there. And it means a mark or a figure that's burned into something, or perhaps a figure that's stamped onto something. That's the idea. We get our English word character from this Greek word, character. We get the English word character. We want to know what someone is like. You want to find out about his character. Sometimes you meet someone for the first time and you get a certain impression but someone tells you, Oh, hold off. You got to get to know them first. And then later you get to know them and maybe your opinion changes. 
maybe for the bad, or maybe it changes for the better. A person's character is the person. They're one and the same. They're together. You and your character are, are one and the same. They're, they're, they're the same. Your character, that's you. And Jesus is the character, the character of almighty God. You want to know what God is like? You get to know Jesus because Jesus is God. This is very interesting. This is a very, very specific idea. The adjective express means to squeeze out. And so this image is not just a copy of the original. It is the original. Jesus is the original God of gods. He is almighty God. The Jehovah of the old Testament is the Jesus of the new Testament. When we look into the manger and we see a beautiful baby and we look into his face, you see, what are we looking at? As we peer in today through the lens of scripture, what do we see? Well, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is a one of a kind, different from all others. He is the icon image, the icon image of the invisible God. He is the exact actual image of God almighty. Back in Luke chapter two, where we did our reading, if we had continued on reading, we would run into an old man named Simeon. He was in the temple and there was an old lady there named Anna. And these were two very godly, wonderful, wonderful people. And they were waiting to see the, the Messiah, the Christ. They'd been waiting all their lives and they were praying and serving God with prayers. And one day, into the temple comes this younger couple carrying a baby. In Luke chapter two, old Simeon went over, took up Jesus in his arms. And you know, Simeon, when he looked into the face of Jesus, he said he saw the savior of the world. That's what he said. Simeon, what did you see? Anna, what did you see? They saw the Savior. The Savior. The promised Savior. But you know something? Not everyone is going to see this. Not everyone will see what we have seen today in Scripture. Not everyone will see this. I ask you, what do you see when you look into the face of Jesus? You know what some people see? They see a lunatic and they say, Oh, Jesus. No, 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 no. He wasn't a Lord. He, he wasn't Lord of all. He wasn't the almighty God. He was just some kind of madman, a crazy person. He was a lunatic. Listen, I want to show you something. Um, put up that picture. Would you please put that picture up now? 
my clicker here. No, oops. I clicked it the wrong way. There we go. <laughs> There's a cute little guy, don't you think? A precious looking little fellow. I'll tell you, back in 1889, a 51-year-old man named Alois and his 28-year-old wife named Clara, they gave birth to this little baby boy. And they held him in their arms and they gazed into his face. And what is it that they saw that day? What did they see? What dreams did they have for this little boy? Hmm? What hopes for the future lay in his tender face? No one, no one at all could see in this baby's beautiful face that this boy whom they lovingly named brave wolf. That was the meaning of his name, brave wolf. That's the name they gave him. No one ever saw that he would grow up to become possibly the world's greatest lunatic that the world has ever seen. Maybe you, you know, brave wolf by his German name, Adolf and Adolf Hitler is considered by many to be the world's greatest lunatic as he led the world into world war two. Let me show you the, another, I don't have a baby picture of this fellow, but he was born in Italy in Parma, Italy on March 3rd. In fact, 1882, his parents were a poor couple. They gazed into his face and they named him Charles, Charles. And you can't help but what dreams they had for him and what hope for the future. But no one could see, no one could see in baby Charles's face that one day he would grow up to be perhaps the world's greatest liar. His name was Charles Ponzi. And he's the guy <clears throat> that refined the fraudulent practice of robbing Peter to pay Paul. He found wealthy victims and promised them 50% increase on their money within a matter of 60 days. Meanwhile, what he was doing was he was taking money given to him by later investors and giving it to the first investors, making them think, yes, Mr. Ponzi is true to his word. I've made this 50% increase. And Charles Ponzi, his name was to go down in history as a notorious con artist. And he developed what has, is now known as the Ponzi scheme, the Ponzi scheme. And Charles Ponzi, back in about 1920, he devised this method of fraud and he cheated 15 million people, 15 million dollars from people. But he wasn't the only one on April the 29th, 1938. 
a couple named Ralph and Sylvia. They gave birth to a baby boy in New York city. They named him Bernard or Bernie for short. And in March, 2009, Bernie Madoff pled guilty to a 65 billion. That's with a a capital B billion dollar Ponzi scheme. And what we're looking at here, possibly the greatest liars in the world. And some people, some people, when they look at Jesus, they see him, they see him as a, as a lunatic. Some people, when they see Jesus, they think of him as a liar. And I ask you, what do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as almighty Lord God? As some people do. I do. Many of you do. We see Jesus as Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. Now you look into the manger by faith. And what do you see? Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, Simeon and Anna, they all saw the savior, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the wise men. They later came and they saw the king of Kings, but there was another character on the scene. His name was Herod, King Herod and King Herod and all his henchmen. You know what they saw? They saw a threat to their kingdom. They saw Jesus as a threat. Now, after seeing Jesus, all these people did something. They all did something. Now, my question for you, my friend is after seeing Jesus by faith, what will you do? You, what will you do? The shepherds, They went out and they preached Christ after they saw Jesus. They went and blazed abroad. The good news. Is that what you will do? The wise men, you look at it carefully in the gospel of Matthew. And after they saw Jesus, they gave him gifts. They presented him with gifts the best they could. Anna, Simeon. They saw the baby Jesus. And after they saw Jesus, they worshiped God. Oh, how they praised the Lord and worshiped God and gave him thanks. Now, my question for you is what will you do after you've seen Jesus here? Will you speak for Jesus as some people have done? Or will you speak against Jesus as some other people have done? Will you give him gifts as some have done? Or will you hoard everything to yourself as others have done? Will you go and blaze abroad and tell others about Jesus as some have done? Or will you be silent and shut up and not utter a word about Jesus as some others have done. So 
looking into the manger where Jesus lay and looking into his face. What do you see and what will you do, my friend? And before I finish, perhaps you're watching and you're wondering, well, how can I get to know this Jesus? My friend, Jesus is not in the manger anymore, is he? Jesus grew up and died for our sins on the cross. But Jesus is not on the cross anymore. If you have in your home a cross with a a little model of Jesus on it, he's not on the cross anymore. Well, where is Jesus? He's in heaven at the right hand of the father. And he's waiting to hear from you. He's waiting to hear from you. From me, you say, from you. Jesus is waiting for you to come to him by faith in prayer and to confess your sin to him, to ask him to save you from going to hell for God. So loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is waiting for you. My friend, if you will receive him into your life as savior, as Lord King of Kings, if you will do that today, you too will be part of God's family. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and we'll have a word of prayer. Our loving father with all our hearts, we thank you for Jesus. Where would this world be? If you had not have sent Jesus, I'm sure we would have self destroyed thousands of years ago, but at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a virgin. Thank you, Father, that Jesus came and he died for our sins on the cross. This is a wonderful time of year. Our Father, please move on the hearts of all of your sons and daughters to let their light shine and to do something now that they've seen Jesus. And I pray that if there even be one watching who's not yet born again. And they just, they just know that if they died, they might not get to heaven. They're just this big question mark. Lord, encourage them to read the Bible, encourage them to pray, maybe encourage them to contact us. Now, father, have thine own way. Lord, with this crazy world we live in, help us to let the light of Jesus shine all around us that others may see and come to the light. For we pray it in Jesus wonderful name. Yes, we do. All God's people said, amen.